The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd like to share with you today just a brief piece from that wonderful preacher, Jonathan Edwards. He was the one who 
preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. His congregation was not interested. They sat dry-faced, stony, hard-hearted, listening to him as he proclaimed the word. It was when he went to a neighboring town and preached in another church that the Holy Spirit fell. One congregation, hard and stony-hearted, would not respond, but this congregation, men grabbed a hold of things to keep from sliding into hell. They were terrified, and they earnestly began to repent, and this is called the First Great Awakening. It literally prepared the way for the colonies to reject the tyranny of the British government and King George. I want to share a portion of this. It is on Christian pilgrimage, an exhortation to spend the present life that it may only be a journey toward heaven. He wrote, Labor to obtain such a disposition of mind that you may choose heaven for your inheritance and home and may earnestly long for it and be willing to exchange this world and all of its enjoyments for heaven. Labor to have your heart taken up so much about heaven and heavenly enjoyments as that you may rejoice when God calls you to leave your best earthly friends and comforts for heaven there to enjoy God and Christ. Let it be your daily work from morning till night and hold out in the end Let nothing stop or discourage you or turn you aside from this road and let all other concerns be subordinated to this. Now he continues. Let it be considered. Let it be considered that if our lives be not a journey toward heaven, they will be a journey to hell. All mankind, after they have been here a short, short time, will go either to one of two great receptacles. All that depart out of this world will go there. One is heaven whether a small number in comparison, and the other is hell, whether the bulk of mankind will go. This is the greatest issue of our lives. Now, he gives some very specific directions. This is Jonathan Edwards. He gives very specific directions. Number one, labor to get a sense of the vanity of this world. Two, labor to be much acquainted with heaven. Three, seek heaven only by looking to Jesus Christ. And four, let Christians help one another in going on this journey.
That's from Jonathan Edwards' Basic Writings. He's right on. He uses that word labor. He means that word. He means literally to extend your energies, your very best energies, in preparing for heaven. Not in pursuing the delights or the obligations of this life but to establish firmly in your mind that your destination is heaven. And you are on a journey. He says in another place, would you consider as you're traveling across the country and you come to a a wonderful hotel and it's very comfortable and the food is very accommodating? He says, would you consider canceling your journey to your destination and say it is so pleasant here in this hotel i'm just going to stay here no of course not early the next morning you would be up packing preparing and you would be on your way to the destination you desired to go to he's saying likewise prepare your hearts for the journey toward heaven labor to enter therein that there are only two places that a man can go he goes to heaven or he goes to hell now the great problem we're faced with let me be very frank with you is that many who say they are on their way to heaven have only a sentimental sense that they're on their way to heaven. Jesus is their best buddy, but they've never left their sin. They have utterly deceived themselves. There's a story in Scripture I want to share with you today. It's the story of Elijah. Elijah is unknown who has heard of him. But God has heard of him. He's in the prayer closet. We're told in the New Testament, in the book of James, that Elijah is just like we are. Men and women of, of likeness. But he prayed. Day after day, he cried out in the prayer closet about the wickedness of his people, Israel. And he pleaded with the Lord to do something. If there was ever a time when we need to be in the prayer closet crying out to God to do something in America, now is that time. We need to see a very strong Elijah company men and women who have utterly devoted themselves to the journey toward heaven and not to go alone, but to take a crowd with them and to cry out asking God to bring the gift of repentance to America. We have political movements today that are strong and powerful and intimidating and utterly wicked. Political movements that are deep in violence and lying 
and the the pressure is great to agree with them. The pressure is on our public officials to agree. The pressure is on the police to disband, to defund the police. We live in an evil day. And God has already poured out judgment upon America and the world. He has put the church in lockdown. Why? It's time out. If he allows the churches to open, frankly, we'll just go back to the same old, same old, the wonderful, pleasant words that flow, that desensitize us to sin, the wonderful, comforting songs praise and worship that are utterly without depth, shallow, cheap. Some of you love to listen to a station that I started on many, many years ago in college, and all they do is play the cheap and tawdry songs that are called Christian, but they're just worldly songs. Sentimental slop. Breaks my heart. You read the Wesley's, Charles Wesley's songs. Now you have some real content. You read others. You listen to to some musicians and there's great depth and conviction and call on this journey to heaven. Most, however, is just cheap entertainment. And the preachers love it. Crowds love it. 45 minutes singing praise and worship when there's really no praise in it and there's no worship in it because there's no holiness in it. We live in a time of great deception and I'm going to outline that today. Elijah suddenly shows up in the court of King Ahab, an evil man, a man with no spine, no ability to stand up against the powers of darkness, Jezebel controls him. He speaks the word of the Lord, and he says, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Oh, I tell you, to have the courage to go before Ahab with this message, he had to be filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He had to know what his message was, and he had to stand firm on that message. Now, we have a problem today. And that is that there are many who think that they are hearing from God, but they are not. They are hearing from their own spirit. They're hearing from their own personality, from their soul. How do you know? Well, first, does it measure up with Scripture? And secondly, when they say something is going to happen, does it happen? I've 
known many people through the years who who come to the conclusion that God has called them to work full-time for him. They don't have a, a call to ministry. They don't have a specific word from the Lord, but in their spirit they hear they are called, and then they die. They're not taken care of. The money doesn't come. They're hung high and dry, sometimes losing their homes, sometimes losing everything they have because God didn't call them. I'm very concerned today that many, many, many people are utterly deceived. There are prophets going about the land who are speaking all kinds of words of knowledge, Those prophets who have been at it for a while don't give any specific information because they know that if they give specific information and it fails to take place, they will be judged as a false prophet. Many have given specific information and then everybody forgets about it because the next prophecy comes and everybody's excited and dancing and saying, wow, look at that. And nothing happens. Almost everything that's happening in the Christian church in America today is happening out of human personality and human spirit, out of flesh. It gives me no pleasure to say that. I just recognize that that's real. And most are happy with that because the comforting words flow In Elijah's day, the word of God came to Elijah to announce that there would not be any dew or rain for the next few years. That's a very harsh judgment. Well, the the virus is a harsh judgment. And it's not just on America, it's on the world. And it was sent by a holy and righteous God. I know some say, no, it wasn't sent by God. God doesn't do things like that. Oh, yes, he does. God will send pestilence. He will cause plague. And this is a plague. It is a woe. He will send wild animals. He will send armies of destruction, invasion, attacks God does all of those things in the scripture I want you to be very clear today that God is judging America and the world he has found us shallow and wanting he has found the American church is not seeking after his face but the American church is seeking after its comfort its lifestyle. Now, I shared what I did with you from Jonathan Edwards at the very beginning because I wanted you to get a flavor of what the old-timers were like who were determined to walk holy with the mighty God of heaven. 
It was not a shallow walk. Jonathan Edwards over and over says, Labor to enter in. Labor to focus your attention on heaven and not on this world and not on this earth. Jonathan Edwards was severely tried and tested. After he preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, some of the teenagers in his church committed sin, sexual sin. And he, as was his custom, called them forward at the next Sunday and confronted them and said, Repent! And the parents of these teenagers were very wealthy and big donors to the church, and they demanded that Jonathan Edwards be fired. And a church meeting was held, and he was fired for dealing with sin. He went from there and began to tutor native Indian children using the Bible to teach them how to read. It was from there he was contacted by Princeton University and invited to become their pro-host, their chancellor, which he did. And it was there that he died. This situation with Elijah, he saw the utter wickedness. Now, let's be clear. They have established calves many years before golden calves. They have annual celebrations, just as we have our Christmas celebration and our Easter celebration, and the church all goes wild for these celebrations. They're the big events of the year. They're not biblical. Same thing with Elijah. The the nation of Israel was celebrating convocations and celebrations that were not ordered by God. They were of the flesh. It would be hard to argue that the celebration of Christmas was not simply a celebration of the flesh, of commerce. The Puritans in early America forbade the celebration of Christmas because they said it's a time of drunkenness and revelry. Well, of course it is. That's what worldly people want. So in Israel, they freely participated in both the worship at the golden calves, representing money, representing Baal. And most churches are a celebration of money. Who can build the biggest and finest facility and then lift up men and praise and worship men and pastors and first ladies and make them like gods among the church? Many churches praise their pastor a great deal more than they praise Jesus. There is a a lukewarm coldness of heart in the American church. It's about it's about fellowship, it's about social things, it's about connections, it's about entertainment, it's about hey, let's live our lives, let's enjoy life. It's not what 
This Presbyterian pastor, Jonathan Edwards, is saying, he's saying, let's labor to go to heaven. Let's put our whole focus on Jesus and getting ready, and let's help one another on the journey. Today, if you did that in the modern church, they'd say you're a troublemaker. They'd say you're you're crazy, you're you're a fanatic. Jonathan Edwards or Charles or John Wesley or Whitfield, they would not be accepted in the modern church. They would be cast out as fanatics. So it was in the day of Elijah. He was directed by the word of the Lord in 1 Kings 17, leave here. That is, leave the palace now. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Cherith in the Hebrew means to cut off, to separate. Elijah is being separated from Israel. The Lord said, you will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. Now, let's be clear. God is doing something with the children of Israel. He is bringing judgments upon them because they are walking in sin and wickedness before him. He is bringing judgment upon America now in the same way for the same sins that Israel was committing. We are no better than the children of Israel. The chief goal of the church today is not to get ready to go to heaven. So the Lord tells him, cut off, separate yourself. But I want to say this. You would think that Elijah would now be sent to the cities of Israel to preach, repent. But he's not being sent to preach that. You say, well, he would be afraid to do that. Well, he didn't need to be afraid. God would later give him such power that he could speak the word and fire would fall from heaven and destroy a company of 50 men. He did it. He did it twice. They were afraid of Elijah. Elijah had no need to be afraid of Jezebel. But he had to be separated because God wanted to do something in Elijah's heart. He was preparing Elijah for Mount Carmel. He went to the Kirith Ravine. It was east of the Jordan River. And he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, what would have happened had Elijah gone out to that brook and it rained on him? And what would have happened had he gone out to that brook and no ravens showed up to feed him? 
That's happened often today. Announcements are made. This is what God is going to do. And God doesn't do it. This is how you're going to be supplied. One preacher I listened to had a prophetic utterance to speak. You are going to be prospered in every way. You are going to see the power of God come upon your life. You're going to see this and you're going to see that. None of it has happened. He's a false prophet. If he was depending on his word being true to receive bread from ravens, he would starve to death. And he would certainly need a raincoat and an umbrella because it would be raining on him. But his word held. He was speaking the word of God. I want to tell you today, I am not speaking my word to you. I am speaking the word of God. There is a great concern in my heart that as this COVID-19 plague is upon America and upon the church, that we'll push it off and say, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't need to repent. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. I've been facing the fact that much of what I've done in my life I have done out of my human spirit, well-intentioned, well-intentioned, but out of my human spirit. You see, and I've spoken of this before, this is my hand. I'm holding it up. If you're watching by video, you can see me holding my hand up. Does that hand have a mind of its own? No. That hand never does anything that my spirit doesn't tell it to do. Now, my spirit and my personality or my soul work closely together. But the boss is my spirit. Part of what I'm having to really look at is what does my spirit demand versus what does the Spirit of God say? Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference between your own spirit and the spirit of God? Have you tested it? The scriptures are plain. We should test the spirits. How do we test them? By comparing scriptures. By prayer closet time. By confession and repentance. By letting God come through the word to speak to us. One man, I think he was right, he said nine times out of ten, what we think is the Spirit of God speaking to us is not the Spirit of God, it's our own spirit. And we dash off to do what our own spirit has said we're supposed to do. And we get into great trouble because of that. And our hearts are turned hard. I have thought God was supposed to do something and and so I said God is going to do this and then God didn't do it. 
and I had to face the reality that I was speaking out of my own spirit and not the spirit of God. It's a time of of needed reflection, of needed confession. It was three and a half years. Israel had time to repent. Did they repent? No. No, they did not. King Ahab did not repent. Jezebel did not repent. The people of Israel did not repent. They suffered. People died during this time of famine. Imagine if for three and a half years there's no rain, there's no dew. The grass, the crops, the trees, they all dry up. Everything is brown. Everything is dying. Not realizing that the people themselves are dying in their sin, in their wickedness. That's true in America today. America is dying. America is dying because America is not holy. It is not repenting. It is not laboring to enter into the kingdom of God. Cheap grace rules the day. Religious words flow like syrup, sweet and sticky. Not calling to account, not confronting. Just making everybody happy so they can go on their way and pursue their evil course of this world. Perhaps not even necessarily all that evil, just pursuing the world. It's very clear in First John, he says, don't love the world, the flesh or the devil. Prepare your hearts for heaven. He goes to the brook. He drinks from the brook. The ravens feed him. But sometime later, the brook dries up because there's been no rain in the land. I've spent a lot of time at the brook Cherith, being separated and cut off. I've spent a lot of time watching the brook dry up and saying, how am I going to survive, Lord? There's no rain in the land. There's no Holy Spirit presence. We have a very short window, just a few years, to receive the next great revival. And if we don't receive it, if we don't get serious about pursuing Jesus and turning aside from the ways of darkness, if we don't lay down our love of this world and seek the face of Jesus, this revival will pass America by and America will be destroyed.
it's time to recognize the plague that is upon us, the woe that is upon us, and begin to labor diligently to know Jesus Christ and to repent of our casual, arrogant worldliness, our love of entertainment. Some of you, I'm so broken in my heart for you. You'll go and spend hours, your your best hours resting, not in Jesus. You're going to rest in the television. Oh, it's the History Channel. Oh, it's this show. It's that show. It's not preparing you for heaven. It's preparing you for hell. Remember, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it doesn't have to be a violent, evil show. It's just filled with darkness. It's not filled with the light of Jesus. And so it sears your heart. It sears your mind. You sit down to read the scriptures and you go to sleep. Or you spend hours in those violent video games. They don't help you toward heaven. They just increase the lust of your heart for violence. Or you go to the movie house. Or you go to Netflix and look at all the movies. You go to the romance books. You go to whatever your heart loves. Every man and every woman goes to where their heart loves. If your heart loves money, you'll go to money. If your heart loves violence, you'll go to the violent action movies. If your heart is bitter and angry, you'll go to the bitter and angry political movements. You'll go to what your heart loves. If your heart loves Jesus... You'll read the scriptures and you'll pray and you'll repent. And you'll say, woe is me, I am undone. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You'll be up in the early hours of the morning searching the scriptures. You'll be up when your free time coming from work, you'll be searching the scriptures. You'll be praying. Not to get theological information. You'll be searching for the way to heaven. And you'll be asking, what is the good land like? It's where I'm going to spend my eternity. I better find out about it quickly. And what does the Lord expect for me and from me if I'm going to go there? It's a Beulah land. It's a beautiful land. It's a place of peace and joy and life. It's a place of work and contribution. It's a place of creativity. It's a place of love and nurturance. It's a place under the wing of God. The most wonderful place in the universe. I want to be there. 
I've spent a great deal of time at the Brook Cherith, cut off and separated. It's where I've been for the last several years. I've been crying out to God. I've been receiving the bread he sent. I've been receiving your tithes and offerings, and I'm very grateful for you. That's how we're still on the radio. I'm grateful for those of you who can only send a dollar, ten dollars, or those of you who send two hundred and fifty dollars or three hundred dollars. I want to read something to you. I probably shouldn't do this, but but I need to. I received this. From a dear brother, he writes, Dear Pastor Ray, How are you? I'm staying in a model, in a motel econo lodge, cheapest and run down a bit. My car's in the shop since May 28th. Wouldn't start, and before no overdrive dealership hasn't figured it out. Was in Florida to see family for Thanksgiving. Had a heart attack in the hospital from December 2 to December 23. Two of the weeks they said I was about brain dead. After that, doctor wanted me to stay in a skilled nursing facility after second stint in the hospital for diverticulosis. March 1 to 5, I was in the nursing facility until March 25. Because I was homeless, I slept in my car for over a month. My brother-in-law wanted me out anyway. I'm back. Sorry for the drama. But now you know how to pray for me. I'm looking for a small home wherever God wants me. Then in caps... Let's weep and pray for America. It's everything. Or it's Jesus. This dear brother sent a check for $300. I called him. I thanked him. I said, I'm very concerned about you. We had a good time talking and sharing. This brother is determined to prepare himself for heaven. It doesn't matter what rejection he gets. It doesn't matter how his family treats him. They think he's crazy. They think he's a fanatic. All he wants to talk about is Jesus. For that reason, I love him dearly. This morning, I got a text from him asking how much it would cost if we call a solemn assembly. He wants us to call a solemn assembly. He was one of those who responded and said yes. Well, I don't know what it would cost. To really advertise it on the FM side of the dial, we're probably looking at minimum of $10,000, and I don't have $10,000. I thought, should we invite all the top pastors of D.C. to come together? Or should we bring in 
a well-known name from outside of town? Holy Spirit rebuked me and he said, No, there's only one great man you're to invite. His name is Jesus. I know we're going to call for a solemn assembly soon. I don't know how to do it. As I look at it, the solemn assembly would probably be a a short, very sharp repentance call. And then time to pray and seek the face of Jesus. And then opening up the mic and inviting people to come and confess their sin and get right with Jesus. Or testify and bear witness that they're through that Jesus has healed them and secured their salvation. So I'm praying about this, and I ask you, please, would you pray with me that the Lord will direct me for when and how to do a solemn assembly. I don't have a budget to do one. We'll need to find a church that would accommodate us We'll need to find a way to announce it on the radio. I'm leaving it in Jesus' hands. It's his call. But there must be a very strong call going out in Washington, D.C. to come and repent, to get right with Jesus. Probably needs to be in a building large enough that we can abide by the rules and not be too close together even though I'm not impressed with all of that. I think it's pretty much nonsense. I just know we're in a time when we need to repent. Elijah calls for repentance. And he calls a woe, a judgment, no rain, famine. People are dying because of the famine. Just like people are dying because of the virus. Does God do that? Yes, he did it all through the Old Testament. And if you look at the book of Revelation, it's very clear he's going to do it all through the book of Revelation in the end times, and we are now in the end times. And God is calling. I'm praying that the Lord will show me exactly what to do, what to say, and how to move forward with this solemn assembly. I know it's time. I don't know why large churches have not called for solemn assemblies in their buildings. It seems strange to me that pastors are content to go on a little online church deal astonished by the hardness of heart, the worldliness of spirit. Where is the passion for Jesus? Where is the passion to prepare for heaven? Where is the confession and the sin? All I see is the love of the world and success and ambition. The church is so sick 
and we're the church. You understand, the church in America is sick unto death, and the judgments of God are coming upon the whole nation because of the church. The judgments of God came on Israel because of the priests, because of the church. We're at a time where if God does not step in, America will be totally destroyed with race riots, with disease, with poverty. We have not even yet begun in America to see the fallout from the shutdown for two months as businesses are going bankrupt, as dear brothers and sisters who have invested in their business by taking loans out against their houses, and now their business is gone. It's shut down. They're out of money. They're going to lose their homes. All I can do is weep before the Lord and say, Lord, your judgment and we deserve it and we've got to repent we've got to turn from our sin we've got to turn from following our own human spirits and our own personalities and we've got to go to Jesus and plead with him to send forth his Holy Spirit, not the happy spirit, not not the imputed spirit, the Holy Spirit, not to be covered with cheap, greasy grace, but be covered by real grace that causes us to say no to ungodliness and turns our heart toward heaven. It's time. Elijah's call to repent is the same today as it was yesterday. We need an Elijah company, men and women who will finally humble their hearts before a righteous and holy God who will turn and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. My heart has been totally taken up with the world and the things of the world. Good things, but things of the world. And I have not labored to understand what heaven is all about. I've not labored to be righteous before you, to seek your face. I've been entertained by the foolishness of this world. Lord, have mercy upon me. Let's pray. O Lord, I ask today for your mercy to be poured out for America and for your people. 
I ask, Lord, today that you would hear my cry for America, that you would hear the cry of my brothers and sisters who've listened to this broadcast who are also crying out to you. And if it's your will that we hold a solemn assembly, would you make that abundantly clear to us how to do it, when to do it? Lord, we wait upon your spirit. For if it's not directed and called for and ruled over by your Holy Spirit, it will not be successful. Lord, have your way. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress today. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also reach me by going to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Would you please subscribe to our, our YouTube The more subscribers we have, the more space we're granted. So it will get the gospel out. Would you put it on your social media sites? Make it go viral. Well, we're out of time. I love you, my brother, my sister. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.